Now, if you have a world in which like there are thousands of different currency and you may want like, to receive something, but I, I, I only like have like some different currency because I value that more, right? How, how can we build a, a seamless experience for, for people to transfer their value to each other? I'm Tor Bear from Enigma, and welcome to Decentralize This. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Decentralize This, presented by Enigma. I'm Tor Bear, I'm the head of growth for Enigma, and on today's episode, I am speaking with Loy Lu. Loy is the CEO and co-founder of Kyber Network, an on-chain liquidity network for inter-token transactions. Kyber is focused on providing and creating liquidity across the entire decentralized finance ecosystem, and they've integrated with dozens of projects to facilitate use cases from token-based payments to automated portfolio rebalancing. Loy previously earned his PhD in computer science at the National University of Singapore and wrote his thesis on blockchain security. So... He has a little bit of experience here. On this episode, Loy talks with me about how and why Kyber's vision has expanded since its early days, how they've become leaders on collaboration within the decentralized finance space, and how he thinks young people, in particular, see Ethereum and crypto assets differently from older generations, and what that might mean for future adoption. Loy has done incredible work not just for Kyber, but the entire Ethereum ecosystem and decentralized finance in terms of building new products and creating a culture of collaboration. I'm excited for him to share his thoughts on the future with all of you. So without any further introduction, here is Loy Lu. Loy, thank you so much for joining me on Decentralize This. I am thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you, Tor, for having me. Yep. So we start every show the same way. Uh, personally, professionally, who are you? Who is Loy? Yeah, so uh, my name is Loy Liu, and uh, I'm a CEO and co-founder of Kyber Network. Uh, basically, we are building a protocol to allow uh, you know decentralized token swap on Ethereum and potentially you know other uh, smart contract enabled blockchain. I started like you know working on blockchain and cryptocurrency research. Um, from 2014, when I started like doing my PhD here in in Singapore, yeah. So I was like, I was in the like I, I was doing a few other like open source and like community driven project, including like the first uh, smart contract verifier tool for Ethereum and um, the smart pool project as well, in which we try to decentralize the mining pool uh, for proof of work uh, cryptocurrency running like fully. Um, on Ethereum, and in 2017, uh, with a few other, with a couple of other co-founders, uh, we decided like, to start working on Kyber, and I have been working full time on Kyber since then. Yeah, when I first met you, it was around the end of 2017, and Kyber was really just getting started and and, and ramping up. Um, before we talk about Kyber specifically, I want to talk about what you said, which is before this, you know, we've had people on the show who used to be engineers, product designers, investors, and you were an academic, you know, you were pursuing your PhD. So what made you want to get your PhD in the first place? What What is it that you were focusing on? Right. Um, 
Yeah. So before before like you know starting uh, before starting focusing on cryptocurrency, I was actually like doing research on applied cryptography, and then um, you know I read a couple of like articles about Bitcoin and how it was awesome and how how it how it could like become the you know the money of like the twenty first century, right? And I was yeah I I was like super intrigued, and after like you know reading a few other uh, articles joining the bitcoin mailing list i i got like more interested and i you know i i just decided like to work like full time on it because i i just felt like you know this is a, a totally new world and there are a lot of like problems to be solved um like you know that that could be like super interesting for people from academia like myself yeah yeah i i feel like people don't appreciate enough when founders in this space you know, they have this deep history beyond just like they wanted to create a company, but they really wanted to like understand, you know, cryptography is, is the foundation of everything we're doing in this space. And, and a lot of people try to abstract it away, you know, and, and, and somehow pretend that the crypto in cryptocurrency isn't particularly important. Um, so as you're transitioning, so let's we'll, we'll come closer to the present day. You're, you're pursuing your Ph.D., uh, and now studying cryptocurrencies more specifically and Bitcoin. Why? So why Kyber? What What was your? I know Kyber has evolved a lot from the early days of the project, and I and I love how it's evolved. But what was your? Right. What was your original vision for Kyber? Why 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 did you decide to actually like you know go outside the institution and start Kyber Network? Before the team like decided like, to work on Kyber, we actually work on a couple of projects that I just mentioned earlier. And really like like we really like uh, you know working in, with the you know cryptocurrency and, and in particular Ethereum community because we felt like you know we could really make direct impact from our academic work, right? Like whatever, you know, new research paper we could share with the community and like we, we could get like people uh, who could like contribute to the code uh, which is made open source, and from time to time we we could have like uh, you know some some of our work could be adopted in the like uh, Ethereum network as well, like which is you know which which handles a lot of like value from millions of people in the world, right? Like I think cryptocurrency is is one of a few like research um, direction or, or or areas in which like academic people could make like direct impact that fast. Right. And, and I, I don't think like you, you could see it elsewhere. So after this uh, academic project, we, we just think that we could do more. Right. We, we, we could like create more impact um, by, you know, by just like building a, some end user facing protocol or, or product. And we were like trying to see like what is it that we should build uh, that is going to benefit like millions of people that is going to benefit like everyone in the ecosystem. Um, yeah, and I think in 2017, a lot of people were talking about like, you know, infrastructure project and one of that is you know, decentralized change. And we, we spent like several months to analyze like what are the existing solution and why they haven't, um, become mainstream, right? And, um, I think after several months, we uh, sort of like propose, uh, we, we discussed internally and then we propose, uh, you know, the, the original solution of Kyber. And yeah, and and we develop it from there. I remember that, uh, and and it was it was really fascinating reading about your guys's approach to this. And now, of course, a, a lot of people are pursuing decentralized exchanges, right? From 
from like Zero X to even now like Binance launching their decks, it's it's hard to keep track of all these efforts. Um, but but Kyber specifically, you know, let's talk about how it's changed because I think it's really healthy when teams and projects respond to what they're learning when they're building and they're working in the space and they're talking with other people right. who are building on top of their protocols. So what did you learn? Like not just how Kyber's changed, but what is it that you learned that made you expand Kyber's vision and move closer to where you guys are now? Right. So initially we just like, you know, our our original intention is to build the end user uh, decentralized chains that could be like super easy, super uh, secure as well for the end users so that they want to trade uh, or convert their token to a different one, they could like do it after a few clicks, right? Um, they, they, they don't have like to really like see, like look at all the graphs and, and analyze, you know, uh, the order book and things like that. Um, and, you know, from time to time, we could see that on Ether Delta, like back then, Ether Delta was still around. And uh, a couple of like other, like order book based uh, action is running on Ethereum. We could see that like there's literally no liquidity at all. Because it, it was just like so hard for people to use, so that's why we we wanted like to optimize, uh, you know, first of all the user experience, and secondly the liquidity aspect of it. So um, we just you know we just started uh, addressing these problems uh, with the with the original uh, vision of Kyber as a you know an user friendly uh, decentralized change, and you know fast forward uh, we launched our mainnet in. I think the beta was in February uh, 2018, and two months after that, we opened to the public. And I think after a few months, uh, we realized that you know what we what we built at Kyber actually benefit not only the end users, right? So we realized that we can actually benefit the entire ecosystem uh, that run entirely on chain because because of our design. So Kyber is different in a sense that. We run everything on the smart contract. So the users, they just interact with the smart contract. There's no relay, like centralized uh, relay. There's no like server or things like that. Uh, if you are technical enough, you can just like run your node and send your transaction directly to, to, to Kyber smart contract without any middleman, right? So you don't have to add one additional layer of trust. And so, so that's great for like on-chain integration. Right, because if you run any application on your smart contract, then you don't have like to talk to any other opt-in server, right? So you can just like you know from your smart contract, you can send a challenge to Kyber to make a trade, and literally like you know your smart contract is trading with Kyber smart contract, um, and it is impossible for your smart contract to talk to like you know opt-in order book or things like that, right? Uh, so that that's why we 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 realized that. Hey, uh, Kyber can actually like benefit a lot of other applications on Ethereum, and you know let's just find them and ask them to work with us. So for, since then we started like you know reaching out to other projects and asking them to, uh, you know use Kyber. So any like you know financial protocol, any uh, like on-chain payments and things like that, we 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 all reach out to them and ask them to work with us. I think Kyber has announced more, you know, partners and collaborators than almost any other project that I've seen. And, and I respect that a lot because that's one thing that our that our projects, you know, Kyber and Enigma very much have in common is this clear focus on 
collaboration and thinking that collaboration is sort of the key to what you're saying, like unlocking solutions that can impact millions of people. So what so what are your principles here? Like when you think about collaborating with another project, when you think about how projects can work with each other in their space, like do you have principles around this? Do you, are there are there are there things that you try to evangelize at Kyber about how projects can and should work together? Really, the message that that we try to sell to 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 talk to to communicate to other project is that you know when we want to okay when we work with others we wanted to reduce as much uh you know uh development effort required from the team right to integrate with Kyber. So we have like to make everything like extremely easy and simple for them, and at the same time we also like expect the same from them as well, right? So I think everyone in this space is busy and they have like their own uh you know schedule, so that's why it 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 wouldn't be like reasonable to expect like people to really like understand everything that you do, and like try to spend like weeks to integrate with uh you know your platform or your protocol, so. That's why you know we we actually like spend a lot of resources to you know polish our uh, documentation uh, website, uh, which has you know all the detailed steps um, so that people can like the the mainstream developers who don't have like much understanding about blockchain and smart contract who could actually like follow uh, all the step and you know can just like set up something on their website or you know uh, just integrate Kyber with their smart contract as well without like, much understanding of what is going on in the background. So overall, I mean, since it seems like you're really leading the way on this, and I agree with all your points around, you know, you want to reduce friction, not just for the end user, but for developers as well. You know, well, if you had to grade, right, if you had to get a grade to the decentralization space overall, like from an A plus all the way down to like failing, what, what grade do you think we get right now? as a, as an ecosystem, you know, and and I would say like, not just the Ethereum ecosystem, like let's, we have to acknowledge that there's a lot of other, um, ecosystems out there right now that are trying to develop smart contract platforms and so on. Like, so in terms of collaboration, maybe not just collaboration, but like also interoperability, what, what grade would you give us? Uh, I think this is a very hard question and I, I don't think there's a, like, you know, there's a clear answer for it. But I would say, I would say, like, currently there's still, like, I don't think there's a clean solution for, for like, different blockchain to, like, interact with each other. Like, just, you know, take a look at Bitcoin, right? Like, how, how do you, like, you know, move your Bitcoin to Ethereum in a trustless manner with, without, like, compromising trust, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing, like, how do you move, like, Ripple if you count it as a blockchain to you know, to Ethereum or, or Bitcoin. Um, so in terms of like cross blockchain uh, interaction, I think it's still very hard. And I think most of the blockchain are still working in silo. Uh, but in terms of like, you know, gap integration, um, I think Ethereum, Ethereum has a has a great uh, status um, because, I mean, it's just like extremely easy and, and straightforward like for, you know, on-chain dApp to interact with others, right? Because basically you just send, uh, you just like connect between two smart contracts on Ethereum. So one smart contract can just call the function of, of the other one uh, and, you know, you're done with the integration. I think uh, in terms of like inter-dApp integration, um, Ethereum 
has a good ecosystem and I could give it like, you know, B plus to A. Yeah. Good. I mean, that's a passing grade. I And I think it's better than where we were, you know, even a year ago when I think there was, um, you know, it, it maybe it's market conditions or maybe it's just like, you know, the fact that the space was growing so rapidly that we couldn't do this kind of coordination. But I feel like I agree with you that it's a lot better than it was, that more of these things are getting plugged into each other, that we're building this coherent Web3 stack as opposed to a bunch of different silos. Right, right. Uh, at least at least within the Ethereum ecosystem, which is really cool. But hopefully, you know, this ex- this extends to the decentralized space as a whole is that there's this focus on you know, it goes beyond, as we said, collaboration, like the tech has to talk to each other. Uh, Exactly. So let's talk about, we'll we'll talk about some initiatives in particular, like, because you mentioned, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum interoperability. And I do want to talk to you about specific initiatives like wrapped BTC. But uh, I want to start by talking about this concept of decentralized finance more generally, or open finance. And on, on this podcast, we talk a lot about, you know, how terminology is really important. Like, what does decentralization even mean? You know, what is a blockchain <laughs> before we all get confused about what the tech actually is? Um, but right. so so in your own words, right? And without feeling like you have to speak for everyone, but just speaking for yourself, to you, what is decentralized finance? What is DeFi? What does that mean to you? Personally, I think... Um... Decentralized finance, um, right? So I think, like in traditional finance, you will you you will see that there are a lot of like I think I think like in traditional finance, like people operate based on trust, right? Like if you if you deposit like your money into the bank account, you have like to trust the bank to keep your money safe, right? And if you like want to do um, if you wanted to use any like um. I think any like just say any financial services um, from any in- institution, you could have like to trust that uh, you know the institution will just honor whatever like terms and 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 clauses. And if that doesn't happen, then you may have like to rely on you know court and 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 all these things to get back what you deserve, right? So the entire like traditional uh, finance is built based on trust. And that's why, you know, it's super risky because, you know, trust can be broken, right? And from time to time, like people, like, don't really do their job. Like, the, for example, the bank, they lend the money to some other people who cannot repay, right? And things like that. So that's why, like, you know, we have seen, like, several, like, financial crises because of, you know, someone didn't do their job well. Um so really, um, and and I, and I think like it's also like very hard for the end users to really like analyze and see like whether like how risky um, the bank is when they deposit the money in, right? Because like there's absolutely no information for them to to uh, evaluate. So that's why I think, to me personally, decentralized finance is. Uh, first of all, like it should be a financial system in which everything is transparent. So that means if you want to get access to information, you can get it, and you can like you know do their own, do your own like research, do your own analysis to see uh, whether uh, like how risky it is and and whether like everything is okay for you, right? And secondly, it should not be built based on trust. That means there should not be any like middleman. There should be like no. 
outer party rates and things like that. Um, and of course, I think the last like uh, important property is it should be open as well. Like ev- anyone can just like you know uh, be part of the system without like all the tedious you know KYC or like all the rating system and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're focusing to just to summarize at least what I heard like trust transparency, openness, you know, the sort of permissionless financial system that that's more your vision of decentralized finance. Is that right? Right. Right. And and I I believe in all of those values, of course, but I've also heard people focus, you know, if I talk to somebody from Zcash or Monero, for example, they've kind of stressed the importance of uh, privacy and security in all of this, where they're saying, I, I've heard them describe, at least individuals with those projects, describing Bitcoin itself as like, if you put your bank account on blast, essentially, and we're constantly publishing everything about your transactional history and so on. And from their perspective, I guess they're, they don't see, you know, they don't see necessarily like full transparency as a component of decentralized finance. Um, and there's regulators who might disagree with us when we talk about this idea of like permissionless, you know, no KYC sort of thing. Like, right, right. It, so it, this is a tricky thing, right? We have this thing we're calling decentralized finance, you know, especially in the Ethereum ecosystem now. I'm seeing this term used a lot. And a lot of people think that, you know, Bitcoin is a, an example of decentralized finance that, that long precedes a lot of these projects. But now we're seeing more and more projects, you know, like Maker and things like that in the Ethereum ecosystem that are that are creating this very complex, um, independent financial, uh, I can't really say industry, but financial space that's like sort of right. a parallel universe. So so what do you think of, of that? You know, like how would you distinguish what's going on in the Ethereum ecosystem right now with what's going on with Bitcoin or Zcash or so on? Like do you see them as part of a singular like decentralized financial system or is this – is even what's going on in the Ethereum ecosystem with with Dai and so on? Is that is that even more different? I think we are all like going towards uh, the same direction, but just like using different approaches um, and like having different priority, right? So I think probably like you know let's let's talk about like privacy and transparency. And first of all, I I don't think they should be like mutually uh, excluded, right? I think transparency can go along with privacy, right? So I think like the fact that you can prove that um, you know you have this much of money uh, to guarantee that uh, your risky level is you know at some certain level, right? Uh, without disclosing like how much money you have, I think that's perfectly fine, right? So that you can actually achieve both transparency and privacy, right? Which is which you know sometimes most of the time you cannot get in in the traditional financial system. Um, yeah, so I think like. Um, Back to the questions, right? I think like Ethereum, like all the Ethereum project and uh, also like Bitcoin and uh, and Zcash, I think they are all like, like you know, moving toward the same direction in terms of like offering a, a totally new stack of like of the decentralized finance uh, to the end users. And I think, and like for Zcash, because they value like privacy more. So that's why like, you know, they are, they are focusing more on that. Uh, but you could see that like people are actually like, you know, applying Zcash on Ethereum, right? So, so we we have seen like zk die, for example. Like you can actually like send a a sort of like private die to your friend, and people couldn't see it. 
So that's why I said, like, I think everyone is just like building like different like tool uh, for the entire for 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 a big, uh, you know, global stack of, of of decentralized finance. And I think I think which is pretty in, like fascinating, right? Because now now you can actually like select a, a subset of tool that you want to use and that that you wanted to offer to your you know community or to your users. And yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really cool that a lot of these different p- solutions are getting proposed, especially around like transactional privacy, for example. I My only concern, and maybe this is where Kyber comes in to some extent, is that if you have all these different visions, right, and people value different aspects of decentralized finance differently, like some people value privacy more than others, you know, they may choose to use uh, different tools than somebody else. But you still, if you're treating this as currency uh, with, I think, die i mean that's that's definitely the case um you want to make sure that the person you're sending it to accepts it or feels as though it has value to them and maybe it has value because they can exchange it for something else or or, but you see what i'm saying like my overall point is how do we as a space kind of come to terms with the fact that like we all value different things in terms of like principles and in terms of how we define even something like decentralized finance, like we all have different definitions for this. How do we end up with like consistent currencies that we all believe have value? Maybe we don't have to. Yeah. Maybe like I think the, the, the part of decentralized finance is like, you know, you have all the freedom to pick and, and to pick like what currency that you that you want to choose. Sorry, what, what, what that, that you want to receive. And, you know, yeah. And so you may value privacy and I may I, I may value like stability right so we we have like different choice and I think the point of decentralized finance is that like you know we, we can all like achieve what we want I love that like freedom as a principle and it, and it does have a lot to do with what you're saying I think it's so fascinating uh, the idea that like you know in the traditional financial system you can trade you know yen for pounds for dollars you know and and these things have relative values to each other, you know, based on interest rates or whatever else. And in this space, it's fascinating to me that like you can actually like these cryptocurrencies have different properties and they reflect different values of the individuals. Like fundamentally, pound, yen, etc. These are all government currencies. They're all very similar to each other. But being able to trade like a private currency for a stable coin and, you know, the market determines what the relative value of those assets is, I don't know. I think that's super cool. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's why, you know, protocol like Kyber is building is, is quite important, right? Because now if you have like a world in which like there are like thousands of different currency and you may want like, to receive something, but I, I, I only like have like some different currency because I value that more, right? So now how, how can we build a, a seamless experience for for people to transfer the value to each other right like what happened if i transfer die and you only wanted to receive bitcoin right um yeah so that's why you know w- one of the like critical mission of, of, of kyber is like to reduce all the frictionless uh all the frictionless and and all the hurdles in transferring value between different ecosystem and different people as well yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, and it's definitely consistent with how Kyber's vision has expanded from from those early days. So now that we've you know tried to define decentralized finance a bit, and and I and I'm glad that I understand a bit better how you personally feel about it. 
Let's let's go on and talk about some of these initiatives in particular that that you've been collaborating with other projects on. Maybe we start with something like Wrapped BTC, but then I'd I'd love to hear about other collaborations that you've built with Kyber that you believe are furthering the cause of decentralized finance. Right. Um, yeah. So Wrapped BTC Wrapped BTC is the initiative uh, that we work with. I think like a lot of other projects in the space. I think we work with like up to like 20 other projects in the space. Um, yeah, it's incredible. And we, yeah, we, we, we managed like to get everyone together to work on the the sort of like common uh, infrastructure project, right? So everyone is going to use and promote WBTC in, in the long run. Uh, so the point of WBTC is that, you know, we want to bring Bitcoin on Ethereum. And because if you if you run a like, you know, a DeFi application, right, you, you really need Bitcoin because of, you know, all the liquidity and all the value that Bitcoin offers. Uh, you run a decentralized fund, uh, your fund wouldn't work without Bitcoin, right? Because most of the fund uh, has their major uh, stake in Bitcoin. And yeah, so, um, and it's, it, it was quite interesting because like when, when we, uh, you know, started the call, uh, you know, to everyone and asked everyone to join the initiative, Everyone was like, yeah, this is super interesting. Like, you know, I, I thought about it like a long time ago and, and we really wanted to do it. But like, really, like no one really you know, step up and like just initiated it. Right. So we, we were like, super happy that uh, everyone, uh, everyone literally like has the same like vision and they, they also like wanted to do the same thing. So it, it was quite easy like, to get everyone on board. Was it really that easy? I mean, to me, it sounds so impossible, especially in a space like this, but you've done it, right? Like 20 projects coming together, working on this singular thing, and not even something that was like internal to Ethereum, where I could see it, you know, happening more easily. But this was an effort to connect with a different ecosystem, this, this whole Bitcoin ecosystem. Like, was it, were, were there parts where, where it was more difficult? to bring people on or, or to align the vision or was it really um, pretty aligned from the start? I mean, like there was like difficulty, right? There were like projects that we couldn't like onboard, right? Because, uh, you know, they have different priority and, and, and you know, some of the projects, they just, they, they were afraid of like politics because like, you know, there were a couple of projects that are in the initiative already and they, for whatever reason, they don't want to be in the same like room with them, right? So yeah, but I think I think that that was just like the like minority. Uh, most of the project are quite open, and and everyone was in the building mode, right? So everyone was like, you know, this is something that is gonna be super beneficial to the entire ecosystem, and everyone needs it. So why not? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a necessary project. I'm just really interested in in exactly this because we we talked about you know how necessary it is to collaborate as projects and build an interoperable ecosystem. And what you've said now is something that I feel like we gloss over a lot, which is that, you know, sometimes projects just don't want to work with each other because there's people behind these projects. And this happens, you know, forget all the Ethereum ecosystem stuff, but even within the Bitcoin ecosystem and the and these contentious forks and things like that, like there's sort of an inevitability of life in the decentralization space. So again, with this focus on principles, like from earlier, was there, what are some principles when it comes time to like work with these 20 projects and focus in on RAP BTC? Like, what did you keep coming back to 
to keep people on the same page, keep them focused on like this end goal? And, and how did you try to overcome some of these politics? Because I think other people, other projects could learn a lot from that. People who are tackling just as big problems as you guys were. I think, yeah. So I think um, what, what we did was, like, you know, we just respected like everyone, uh, you know, expectation and everyone um, sort of like approached, right? So we, we didn't really try like to over engineer things so that like we could onboard project, you know, if they have any difficulty and if they are like transparent about like what like, like block them from joining, then, then we, we, we could try to help them, right? But if, if we sense that, you know, there's politics and there, there are like different like direction that they want to take, then we just respect them. And yeah, I, I think that's the beauty of like decentralization as well. People, like really have the option to do whatever they want right so yeah for 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 us the principle of choice and freedom again like we were saying exactly exactly yeah so for us we would try to be as much transparent as possible and we would try to keep like everyone on the same page by like having the same like telegram group and and even like a mailing list so that like we try like to make the communication better um yeah no, it's impressive. As somebody who manages mailing lists and Telegram groups, I know that it can be impossible to even do that with one group. And it feels like you you were you were working very hard on this. So I'm very impressed. What are what are some other initiatives that you know collaborative initiatives that you've worked on as Kyber or as part of Kyber? Um. So one of the things that um at Kyber we are trying to do in 2019 is to start building our own decentralized governance process. Right. Mm. Um. Because I think like really like for the um, sustainability of the project and also like because of the nature of like or the decentralized uh, project as well, we really need a decentralized governance, uh, which is going to involve a lot of like people in the community uh, so that they could like voice their opinion and they, and they could like um, really like contribute to the project as well. Uh, so we are, we are trying to work with a few projects in the space, including like Aragon and Dowstack and, and to, to really like try to see, uh, um, like how we could like use their product, how, how we could use their protocol or, or platform, uh, for, for our own need. Uh, so we're going to do like a few experiments in the coming months, uh, with all these platform, um, to, to try to uh, see like how uh, our community uh, respond and whether like you know, there's any uh, anything that we could, um, uh, you know, send back to all these uh, Aragon or Downstack project as a feedback to improve the platform as well. That's really ambitious. I mean, it, and again, it, it when you said this, now that you've touched on another principle that I share, which is this idea of sustainability. Right? You want to build something that's that's going to last, and collaboration is a part of that. And interoperability is a part of that. But as you're saying, you know, sustainable decentralization might have this governance component. Luis came on the podcast from, from Aragon and he talked a little bit about this. And I asked him a little bit about what he saw were the biggest challenges there. I, I want to ask you the same thing when it comes to like if you wanted to decentralize governance for Kyber right now, what do you think the biggest challenge would be? I think the biggest challenge for decentralized governance is really like to make people uh, you know, interested in governing the platform or the protocol, right? Um, oh man, it's just like the real world. Exactly. So that, that, that's why, like, when we started Kyber, uh, we, we were like, you know, if we like go for decentralized governance now, mm -hmm. it wouldn't make any sense, right? Because like there, there was like literally nothing for people to govern. Right. 
Yeah, so that's why like we were like you know we really have like to uh, bootstrap the and the initial phase and like you know doing all the collaboration and integration with other project in the space so that we we could make you know Kyber as something valuable and and something that people would would be like super interested in governing. Um, yeah, and and I think like 2019 is is a good year for us to start that process. I like that framing where it's like the right time to work on decentralized governance is when there's something worth governing. Right. Uh, and that and that's how you get people to participate. And I, I'm really curious to see how you guys execute on that, how the how the community is involved in that. Uh, you know, there's there's so many aspects to a project that you can decentralize. And I always find it interesting that the choices that people make around like the how and the timing um, but you feel like Kyber is in a good place right now where you've built a strong enough foundation that if you move towards a more decentralized governance model right now, you, you feel good about how Kyber is going to scale? Um, I, again, I, I don't think we are going to build the entire thing in, to the, to, to, in 2019, right? But, but what I was just saying is that like 2019 is a, year, a good year that we – can can start the process. Okay. And and I believe that you know it's going to take us like several years to really like figure out um, you know what is the right decentralized governance model for Kyber, right? Uh, so I think yeah. So it's it's going to um, require a lot of like experiment and a lot of like trial and and error and you know all these processes. That's a healthy approach. I'm not. I'm not trying to convince you to do something faster, because <laughs> um, rush, rushing things in in this space usually creates more problems than it solves. So, but I think you guys have a good balance of you know pushing forward on initiatives like RapBTC and like executing and getting it done, and then also you know experimenting with with this long term perspective and and figuring out uh, you know through you know trial and error, but not putting things in, in a place where they can like fail critically, you know, but just experiment to see where you guys can take this to, to make it even better for the, the people who are involved in the project, the, the community at large and, uh, and the core team as well. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah. So my, my last set of questions for you is, is very much around, you know, what we said earlier, like we want to build things that millions of people can use. Um, and this is another place where I think, it could be an exercise in patience. How far away do you think we really are? If you if you had to uh, put a time frame on it, how far away do you think we are from having millions of people using decentralized technologies? And you know what are the biggest barriers that we have to overcome before we can start taking that dream seriously? How far are we? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, but I could say I I could give it like you know probably 10 years until like you know um like the mainstream people are gonna are gonna like use uh decentralized um you know stuff right like decentralized finance and currency um the reason for 10 years because like i think like all the new generation or the young people they are they they i think these are the people that are gonna take like cryptocurrency and and like decentralized finance um easier right because they haven't touched like traditional finance they came to like you know decentralized finance with a fresh mind and probably like you know it's going to be much easier for them like to learn about it and to appreciate uh you know decentralized finance and to be honest like understanding decentralized finance is much easier than like the traditional world 
because you know there was just like a lot of things that you couldn't explain in like traditional finance because of like yeah so because of uh, that's how that's how they work <laughs> well they've been working that way since the 1700s and nobody bothered to change it right. you know that kind of idea yeah, it's it is interesting. So this point you're making about the new generation, like what do you think somebody who's like 21 right now? And and a lot of people in the crypto space are 21 right now. I'm not, you're not, but a lot of people are. Um what do you think they see when they, when they look at all this, when they look at the traditional world and then when they look at Bitcoin and Ethereum, like why what's their attitude? Like let's if we try to get in their heads, what do you, what do you think they think when they see something like Ethereum and then they like try to open a bank account or they try to like buy their first stock? I think for people at like who are at like like twenty one, I think it's much easier for them like to understand like Ethereum and also like try to explain like the core idea behind it, right? Um and I, I think they, they will they will be like the the people who are pushing this uh, ecosystem forward, and yeah, personally, I I work with like a couple of like people uh from India as well. Uh, so I'm I'm not sure if you have heard of this guy from Insta Insta Um, yeah, so they are like you know 18 years old and 20 years old, uh, still in college. Some also like drop out, some even drop out, and they they, they build a cool thing, right? Super cool thing with like Maker and also with Kyber as well, because like. For them, everything now is just like code and formula, right? And and if they can explain the things behind it, then then they can like make like innovation on top of it. But like for for traditional finance, like it's just the barrier of entry is too high, and there, there's just a lot of like hidden information and and all the terminology that like no one can understand if if you don't spend like several years working for some you know, traditional firms, right? Yeah, I we we put up all these all these barriers. They we, with traditional finance and I was an economics major and I worked in finance so I know, you know, there's basically signs everywhere that say, you know, do not enter. You know, and 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 when I became a trader, you know, and I had to take my series 7 and I was handed, you know, books on books of these, you know, uh, of these financial it was basically like legal explainers and all these things and like I'm not saying that like that rules are not valuable. What I'm saying is that like the barriers were super, super high before you could even start touching something interesting. You know, before I could trade, I I had to be certified and there was a lot of certifications I had to go through, believe me. And now in the crypto space, I feel like, you know, as long as you can log on to Coinbase or like buy your first crypto or something like you can get involved, you can get into these markets, you can start using the cryptocurrencies that you're buying on platforms that are powered by the same cryptocurrencies, I I think it's super cool. So I'll I'll flip the question. You know, it seems pretty easy to get young people involved. How do we get how do we get the mainstream people who are very familiar with finance and have like retirement accounts and things like that? How are they going to get involved in this space? Or are they? I think if we try hard enough, we we can get them. I mean. I think I think it's gonna require a lot of like education and at the same time like we need like to make sure that there's actually incentive for them like to get involved, right? Uh I, I think it's just like hard like to try like to sell to all the traditional bankers and like, you know, hey, use this use Bitcoin, use, you know, Ethereum and things like that. Because it looks like we are trying like to steal their job, right? Um Yeah, but I think I think if we if we can like um I don't know. I I I don't have I don't have a, a like you know clear answer for it. 
but I think, uh, but I think like everyone is just like trying to do that as well. Like, uh, but I, if if you look at like what happened in in Korea, a lot of people actually like hold cryptocurrencies because of trading and because of like they 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 could see that they they could make money from it, right? Um, yeah. So maybe like incentive is 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 a is a better approach. Like making sure that people actually have something, um, to to you know, get out from, from it, uh, or something that they could like, uh, see as a benefit, um, so that they can like, you know, really like spend the effort to really learn about cryptocurrency and blockchain and decentralized finance. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's close on this question because you, you, I think are one of my first guests that is, you know, native to Asia and really has seen all of these markets firsthand, you know, not just Singapore, um, but also, you know, Korea and you've seen Japan and China and India and like all all these things that, you know, are just very far away from me sitting in the middle <laughs> of the U.S. that, you know, but but I see so much of the passion and energy in this space coming from Asia and all these different markets there. You know, it, it would be it would be really, really dumb to lump all those markets together into one thing that's Asia, because I know how different, you know, Korea and Japan even are from each other. So, you know, how, how do you see Asia leading the way? Like, what do you think Asia in particular is going to lead on when it comes to adoption of these, these technologies and building these technologies? Is there something that you believe these countries like uniquely can do versus uh, somebody like the States? Okay. So I think in Asia the population is still like quite young, like uh, among like other countries like like China and and India and even like you know uh, Vietnam and Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. So and and a lot uh, and, and these people they they focus a lot on math and also like on like natural science, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why that's why I think it's much easier for them like to pick up cryptocurrency and and the whole like engine behind it. Um, so I think they are gonna be like a lot of like good developers coming from Asia, uh, you know, trying to build stuff with, uh, you know, blockchain and, and, and decentralized finance. But I think, um, another point which is as important is that because in Asia, the really like in, in, in several countries, the traditional finance is really not there yet. Like if you were born in like in a rural area in China or in like India, it is like impossible for you like to set up a bank account, right? Or, or to enjoy any like financial services because like there, there's none there. Right. Yeah. So that's why like, you know, the, if we like, I think if the first thing that, that they learn about finance is decentralized finance, then, you know, they're going to stick with it. Right. And later on, if they see like, you know, all the banking and traditional finance services, they, they will just like, it's, it's a different world for them. It's like just totally difficult and, and like no transparency at all. And I, I don't think they're going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then I guess it's up to us, right? You know, you and me and everybody else in this space, like let's build a better alternative. And then hopefully, uh, hopefully there's something about it that's more attractive than this traditional world. And uh, we create a lot of value from a lot of people who, who don't take anything for granted. I think that that's, a cool vision and you know like you're saying there's there's more young people every day yep. <laughs> uh, so hopefully hopefully we find ways to educate them and onboard them and i'm super excited by what you're doing you know both within kyber and with your collaboration efforts in the space 
I'm looking forward to what's coming next for you guys. So if anybody listening wants to follow you, follow the project, where should they go to keep track of your progress or learn more about yourself and Kyber and all these initiatives? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, I think we are at Kyber Network. We also have our own separate uh, which we, uh, you know, post our update like quite frequent. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I'll add any relevant links to the podcast description so people can follow along, learn a little bit more about all these things you're telling me about because they're all super cool. But Loy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I know it's late for you. I'll let you uh, <laughs> I'll let you get some well-deserved rest because, you know, building is hard. Uh, but thank you again. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. It's been great. 